to each other and mirror each other. Um, we have in our Hebrew Bible reading the story of Elijah who has gone up the mountain. He's fleeing for his life and he encounters God in an unexpected way. And then in our gospel reading, we have Jesus who has also fled up a mountain um, for, for his sanity. He's been followed around by thousands of people. And then the disciples encounter Jesus in an unexpected way. Now, in Elijah's time, in, the, in Elijah's story, we, we hear that his encounter with God is first there's a huge wind, God is not there. There's an earthquake, God is not there. God is not in the devastating fire. God is ultimately present with Elijah in sheer silence. And it's important to remember how very unusual this was for Elijah and anyone living in his time because Yahweh was not the only show in town. There were plenty of other gods to choose from and the Israelites, as you know, frequently did. They thought that they would pitch their bets by worshiping Baal for a while or building their own god in the form of a golden calf. And so in this, in this time of competition for God, and this, well, this is what Elijah is referring to when he says, the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, they're tearing down your altars, they're killing their prophets. This is not because the Israelites have decided to forsake religion and become atheists, it's because they're taking their business elsewhere. And so in this, in this competition, for which God is the most powerful and the best, and which one you should give your devotion to, people are naturally going to gravitate toward the one that has um, the most pyrotechnics, that is really demonstrating their power and majesty. And so we have these stories of Yahweh, who is sending plagues on the Egyptians, parting the Red Sea, um, having the earth swallow up people whole, that type of thing really shows that Yahweh is there and is busy. And the Hebrew Bible refers to these other gods with some frequency and never really claims that Yahweh is the only God, just that Yahweh is the best God. So it's important to have these demonstrations of Yahweh's power to keep that devotion. In this climate, no one is looking for the quietest and calmest God. So for Yahweh to appear to Elijah in this fashion is extremely unusual. Now, when we get to the gospel and Jesus's time, guess what? Yahweh is still not the only show in town, not even close. The Palestine in which Jesus lived was part of the Roman Empire, and it was mostly a Jewish settlement and the Roman Empire said, okay, that's okay, do your thing. But most of the rest of us are worshiping the Roman gods. And you all could probably list off five or more Roman gods right now because we still have their names everywhere. That's how ubiquitous this form of worship was and it was pervasive in this culture. And so Jesus, in, in a different way, his pyrotechnics are more of the 
healing and generosity type, not so much of the, the smiting and swallowing people up whole, but it's still, it's, these are the things that cause people to follow Jesus. He's doing these miraculous healings. Just before our gospel reading today, he's coming straight from the feeding of the 5,000. He's doing these things that are getting a lot of attention and that are causing thousands of people to follow him around. And so this incident of walking on the water is, is somewhat of that variety. It's not um, exactly a subtle gesture to come out walking on the surface of the Sea of Galilee in the middle of a windstorm. And it is actually so dramatic that the disciples are scared and aren't sure if it is Jesus. And so Peter asked for this proof and says, this is the ultimate test. Jesus, if you, if you can draw me into this marvelous act and unbelievable act, then we'll really know that, that this is true and that you're real and you are the one we should follow. So Jesus invites Peter into this at his request, but I noticed something about this invitation that maybe you, you did as well. Um, I do a lot of yoga. I do yoga a few times a week and one of my favorite teachers, her name's Amy, she really drew me to my yoga studio because she's so knowledgeable about the human body and how it all works together. And she's very precise in her instructions for how to learn new poses and how to tweak old ones. And it's as simple as moving your, she'll come around and just move your wrist a little bit and it opens up the whole pose. I'm not gonna demonstrate my L, but you get the idea. And Amy is doing a workshop in a couple of weeks over the weekend, and it's called Headstands, Floating, and Flying. I don't know how to do any of those things, but apparently if I spend two and a half hours with Amy, maybe I will get close. Point being that when we are doing something new, especially something with our bodies, whether that's yoga, whether that's perfecting our tennis swing, whether that's learning the foxtrot, we usually receive a lot of instruction and some of it is very detailed. Peter doesn't get any of that. Jesus does not say, okay, take a deep breath. Let's ease into this. Let just try your right toe and then transfer your weight and maybe hold out your arms for balance. Peter gets one word come. That's it. We're walking on water. Come. So Jesus is making it very clear that this is not an exercise in physical ability. It's an exercise in faith. And it works temporarily. It works until Peter notices that the storm has continued. And this is where our gospel story starts to diverge in a significant way from the story of Elijah. Because whereas in Elijah's story, God did not appear until it was still and silent. In Jesus's, in the story of Jesus, the storm doesn't stop. Jesus just heads straight out into the middle of it. 
And as soon as Peter notices that, it's when he starts to sink. Now Jesus, we know, could have stopped that storm. And he does later. But I think he wanted Peter to figure out that he could do it without any special instruction, as long as he had that belief and he had that beacon in Jesus to walk toward. He had something that he was heading for. Now we're here this morning at Eric's invitation. Um, my colleague Chris is in the back row. We, about 10 years ago, started exploring the possibility of starting a ministry through the Episcopal Church, working with young people in foster care. And our friend Eric was in the room in the very first meeting we ever had about that becoming a concrete possibility. He's been a great friend and supporter of Braid ever since. And we came to this idea after learning about particular, um, I mean, disadvantages, it isn't even a strong enough word, that foster youth face. I was looking into a volunteer opportunity as a court-appointed advocate for foster youth, which is a wonderful program. And in that process, learned statistics that just floored me, and you may have heard some of these. Um, at least 50% of foster youth will end up <clears throat> unhoused within two years of aging out of the system. 30 to 40% or more, these are moving statistics will be trafficked, um, will end up incarcerated. Only 50% of foster youth graduate from high school, less than 5% make it on to higher education, and of those half are unprepared and end up dropping out in the first few weeks. So all of this was happening around us, and we didn't know that, and we wanted to respond and see how the church could respond. And so nine years ago, we, we started Brave Mission, where we take volunteers and they work in teams, and each team surrounds one young person. So they have three mentors, and they have a fourth member of the team behind the scenes who is supporting the team, making sure that they're um, supported, cheering them on, um, making sure everyone is cohesive as a team. We can't make that storm of foster care stop. We've learned that over the years. We wish every day that we could make that storm cease. And even when youth have ended up with a caring relative or they've been reunited with one of their parents or they are in a good foster home, um, even if they're out of that, that storm of moving around to placement to placement, which is unfortunately calm, very common, even if they've landed in a better place, they're still carrying all of that, that trauma and that woundedness. That is a deep wound in the soul when the people who brought you into the world can't care for you or won't care for you. And all of our youth have come to us by way of abuse, addiction, and neglect in some form. And so that storm is going to keep going. And we can't make it stop, but we have learned that by building these, these teams, we can do something to help them walk through it. And those teams show up for their youth for just an hour a week. Um, it doesn't sound like a lot, but there is actually evidence. They've done studies 
on the effects that a caring adult can have by showing up for just an hour a week. And through their consistency and through their care, they become like that, that bubble that Jesus was in the storm. Jesus was like the eye of the storm for Peter when he was trying to walk on the water. And our, our teams become like that for their youth, that one calm respite, even if it's just an hour a week. And so very few of our mentors come to us from a background of religious faith. Some do, most actually don't, but they are all there because they want to walk toward something, more connection, deeper connection to their, their community, deeper connection to their teammates. They want to walk toward new, new depths of compassion in themselves. And that's what they are heading toward together. And when we, when we train them, we, we do train them more than Jesus trained Peter, but we, we talk about their gift is themselves, their presence, they're showing up. And we use a symbol of the labyrinth. You have one, in, I've turned around. You have a courtyard around here somewhere and it has a labyrinth in it. And we use that symbol of the, the labyrinth and that center space and holding that as that eye of the storm, as that one sacred hour in the week where the storm is still there, but we don't notice it raging as much. You all don't need to tell me to tell you that there are still all kinds of forces in our world that are competing for our attention. There are a lot of other places where you could have been this morning. I know that. I'm glad you're here. And it's, it's tempting for us as humans to turn our attention to what is the loudest and the brightest and the shiniest, whether that's a musician or a politician or the latest TikTok star. Um, and as much emphasis as we also have these days on yoga, meditation, reducing our stress levels. I think most of us just want to get away from the chaos and don't necessarily expect to meet God in that stillness. We were we're fleeing the chaos as opposed to walking towards something real. So I think the reminder for you and for me this morning as people of God is that meeting God is not about waiting for the storm to stop. It's about trusting that there is a still center in the midst of that storm and having faith to simply walk toward it as best we can. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing community welcoming those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You may reach us by phone at 415-388-1907, search for us online, or visit our website at OurSaviorMillValley.org. We wish you God's peace, and we hope to greet you in person very soon.